So you must have noticed that uh, Pastor Kevin is not the one preaching this morning. Um, it's a, a little uh, black African boy uh, that's going to be giving the message this morning. You know, um, I, I always make this joke that uh, before coming to the UP, we lived in, uh, in uh, a town called Edinburgh, Texas, which is just about 30 minutes from the Mexican border. So I always make this joke that I didn't know that I would leave from uh, northern Mexico and to come to southern Canada. <laughs> um, so that is the way I locate the UP when it comes to <laughs> the map of the world. Uh, but there's something very unique about the UP that I discovered living here, and this is going to, uh, this is my five years plus now, uh, which is that in the UP, the summer takes on a really very important meaning like I've never seen in any other place. Uh, the summer is a time when people actually make plans and strategize how they would accomplish those plans. And how many of you here are doing remodeling or doing something at home or things like that or traveling and all of that? I know all over America during the summer, people travel, but when you are in the UP, not traveling takes on a whole new meaning. That's just what I noticed. And, uh, you know, doing something because there will be a time when you are not able to do all of the things that you do. And so uh, my message this morning is about God's strategy. So God has got plans to, he's got uh, something for us, for you and for me. In fact, one of the things I, I read from the Bible that is very interesting to me in Luke's gospel, chapter 14, verse 28, says this. He says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So uh, in this passage, you know, the Bible makes us to understand that it's, it's okay to make plans. You know, every time in our life we make plans, we, you know, we want to make summer travel, maybe we have to put some funds out for the travel, maybe we have to go on the, on the map and locate which can, where, what stops we want to make, and the things, the places we want to visit, the people we want to see, we make such plans, right? It is just a normal thing for us to have some kind of plan, to have some kind of strategy. Especially when we have a really big project, especially when we really have some big plans or some big thing we want to accomplish, then we have to sit down and strategize and make plans about how we can accomplish that. In fact, God himself is a God of plans. And on Jeremiah 29, 10, which I think uh, 11 or so, when we, many of us have know almost by heart, it says, for I know the plans that I have towards you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So God has plans. I discovered that God has plans. And, and he has put in us as human beings his very nature, the ability to make plans, the ability to think ahead of time what is going to happen and to strategize as to how to accomplish the plans that we make. So God has a plan 
God has a strategy. But this morning, my question is, what is God's plan? And what is God's strategy for us? You know, it's interesting because I was looking up the word strategy, and this is what it means. A plan of action or policy designed to achieve a major or overall, overall goal or aim. Uh, some of the synonyms for uh, a strategy are master plan. So when we, when, we are talk, when we talk about strategy, we are talking about a master plan, or uh, we are talking about a grand design, some people say. Some others say we are talking about uh, a game plan. Uh, and so in all of these things, anyone that you choose, you notice that strategy is something that we, is very important in our own lives. But even as it's important in, with us as human beings, it is even more important with God. Because think about his plans. He says his plans are plans to prosper and not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future. Now if you have, just think about it a little moment. There are about 7 billion people on the surface of the earth right now. If you have to plan to make things great for them, can you imagine the pressure that can be on God? You know, just as a human being, he's not like he's pressured in anything. But I just want you to think like a human being. And he has, to, he has plans to prosper each one of the 7 point something billion people that live on, this, on the planet earth. He has to worry about whether their, their daughter goes to school. He has to, in fact, think about the remodeling project that they have in their homes. And he has to do that for about 7 billion people. And he has to worry about those that are dying. He has to worry about those that are in the hospitals. He has to worry about those that are being born. He has to worry about the people that are looking for jobs. He has to worry about your summer plans so that you can go out and come back safe. Think about how much pressure, humanly speaking, God can be under. Uh, that's why, you know, never play God at any one time because you will die before your time, right? Just thinking about it. <laughs> so he must have a strategy. He must have some plan. How does he accomplish all the feats that he has to accomplish as God? He must have a plan. He must have some game plan. So my, my uh thing this morning is just to be able to speak to us about God's strategy. And I want to read from a very, a very interesting passage in the Bible. Um, I always encourage people that, you know, that there's almost no topic that you might be interested in reading that is not found in the Bible. So I'm actually going to read from a Roman story. And uh, when I read it, if you have never read that passage before, you would think I just cut it out of some uh, romantic uh, website or something like that. But it's actually from the Bible. That's an interesting thing. I'm reading from Judges chapter 14, 1 through 4. Now it says, verse number 1, it says, Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now you already understand he did not just see. Hello? Oh, you guys are very quiet this morning. So he saw a woman of the daughters of the Philistines. Verse 2, so he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as wife. So back in the day, parental consent was everything. You know, it's not like today where some of us can just get slipped through the back of the house and 
before we come back, everything is done. So he says <laughs> to the parents, I want you to get her for me. Verse 3, then his father and mother said, is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to the father, like every teenager, uh, get her for me. Uh, she pleases me well. Okay, there was some chemistry going on. I don't know if it's biology or chemistry, but somewhere along the line, something was happening to Samson. Samson was just another man. Verse number four, but his father and mother did not know that it was, did you read that? What is that? It was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. This morning, I want to focus on that verse because many times, how many of us have heard about Samson's story? In fact, many of us knew about Samson before we ever read the Bible. In fact, many of us have heard more stories of Samson outside of the Bible than we have even read it in the Bible. And the interesting thing is that when you hear Samson and... Uh-huh. Now, many people don't even really know Samson's life story. Because this woman that is being talked about here is not Delilah right here. So Samson had about three women in his life. You know, he, he, was, a, he was a woman, a, a, a women's man, you know. Uh, that was just the nature of Samson. But he had a wife. Then he had a, there was another, secondly, there was a prostitute that came into his life. Then there came Delilah. So before there was Delilah, there was all this other woman here. So as I'm reading the story, I don't want you to think it's Delilah. So because then you would, you know, it would be freaking you out because your understanding and your theology wouldn't be fitting quite well. But there is this other woman who was actually his wife because Delilah was not actually his wife. If you really read the story, he wasn't really married to Delilah or something like that. He wasn't also married to the prostitute, but this is the one that is actually counted for a marriage, which was his very, very first marriage. So here is the man, Samson. He goes down to Timnah and he finds this beautiful woman. I, I, I just assumed that she was beautiful because, I mean, uh, he would not let the parents rest. No, nobody can drink a cup of coffee that morning until they got that girl for him. Um, so I don't know how your story, your own romance story was about, you know, how it happened, but... Uh, this is how his story was. And he says, get her for me. But, and the parents said, but, you know, and again, think about it. They were Jewish people. And according to the culture of the time, you had to marry a good, wonderful, nice Jewish girl. And then the father was like, man, did you, you know, did you not look around or what, what happened? You know, will you, should you go down to the Philistines to find you a nice girl? Um, what happened? Did you find one here in the UP? Or, uh, <laughs> at least if you, were, if you had to go a little distance, maybe in the Ghani or something like that, but at least there should be someone around here. And uh, well, Samson says, I want you to get her for me. But here is the part that interests me. Verse 4 that says, but his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. So the Jewish people were under the oppression of the Philistines. And God knew that by Samson's connection with the Philistines, God was going to use that and as an occasion to 
bring about the conquering of the Philistines and to break the hand of oppression over the nation of Israel. And because God had these plans in the future, he comes right back and puts it into the, hand, into the heart of Samson to do something that was unconventional. And so that is how I want us to reason it. So Samson is here and, uh, you know, and, and, and in his heart, God has put something. And that thing that God has put in his heart is connected to the purpose that God has for him, which is that he is going to remove the nation of the Jewish nation, the, the, the Jewish people from under the bondage of the Philistine. And so he puts in his heart about getting married to, to this woman. Now, when we talk about God's strategy, I want us to notice three things here, which I will share with you this morning. Number one is that, you know, understand that you are God's strategy. So God's strategy are not some three steps to that or five steps to this or, you know, God's strategy is not really some method, some formula, some secret sauce. I mean, you've heard about secret sauces, right? Stories about secret sauces, you know. I mean, uh, you know, recipes that have been kept in a family for generations and all of that, and they, they get it out, and everybody else, you know, everybody else doesn't know how they make theirs particularly that way. But interestingly, God doesn't use, that's not really what is God's strategy. God's strategy is never about, you know, you know five steps to the anointing and, uh, you know, seven you know, steps to doing that. God's strategy is people. Every time God has a great plan in mind, he will come and look for somebody. When God wanted to save an entire generation in the days of Noah, he looked for a man, a righteous man called Noah, to represent his generation. When God wanted to save the children of Israel, he looked for a man called Moses to take them out of the land of bondage and to bring them into the promised land. When God was wanting to bring the people into the promised land, he used a man called Joshua. God's strategy has always been people. In fact, when God had a plan to save you and me, you know what he looked for, who he looked for? He looked for Jesus. Every time God has a great design, a, a great purpose in mind, he looks for people. His, his strategy has always been using men and women like you and me. And so that's why we see here in the book of Judges, it doesn't surprise me, that when he had a plan to deliver the children of Israel from the hand of the Philistines, guess who he was going to use? He was going to use a man called Samson. And because he was going to use Samson, you know, uh, Samson began to have, you know, feel, have this feeling for this Philistine woman who was going to become the wife and through whom, actually, he was going to move to actually bring about destruction in the, in, you know, in the land of the Philistines. So God's strategy is people. You are God's strategy. I am God's strategy. I have to have an understanding that God does not use any other thing else. God does not use any other method except the method of you and the method of me. In fact, God trusts us as much as to want to use us and wants us to be his people. I was looking at uh, the meaning of the word occasion because it says God was looking for an occasion 
to come against the Philistine. And when I was looking at the meaning of the word occasion there, you know, the verb form actually means to happen at the right time. So he was looking for the right time for something, for him to cause something to happen. Another meaning of that means to bring a person or thing at the right time. You see, so God was wanting to bring Samson just at the right time so that he can use him to do the thing that he has always wanted to do, which was to deliver uh, these people from out of their bondage. And, uh, and when I look at this, this, this aspect of what it means to be God's strategy, I remember my own very story. I remember that, you know, I, I have said it uh, several times for those of you who are part of the church. You know, I was born in a little village in, 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 in West Africa, in Cameroon. And uh, growing up with my grandmother in the village, and, uh, you know, we didn't even have electricity. We, we, didn't, even have, we, we, we didn't have tap water. So we carried water from the stream. Uh, and I remember how sometimes when you went to the stream, you had to, you know, uh, push aside the, alg- you know, the algae and all of that, you know, then all of those, the, 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 the creatures that live in the streams and all of that, and then to be able to scoop out water and then to drink. Um, but something happened in my life, you know, uh, when I was in high school, which is that I gave my heart to Jesus, I... I came to uh, know the importance of surrendering my life back to God. And actually, I was about the very first person in my family to do that. Uh, because uh, we were a religious family going to church, but you know, it's something else to go to church. It's something else to surrender your heart to Jesus. Uh, and, and, and so, my ch- we, I grew up in a Baptist church-going family. We, we, we used to participate in the memory verses when I was young. In fact, I knew memory verses before I, before I, I was a believer. I knew a lot about the Bible. I read the Bible a lot, but I was not yet a Christian. And so, when I gave my heart to Christ, it seemed to me like I was the last person that ever, you know, the last person to have ever discovered that there was such a thing as, you know, giving your heart back to God. And so I, I was really passionate about it. I was, and so I began to tell my entire family. I began to organize, uh, you know, devotions, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, devotions at home, and I would call everybody around the table, and uh, we would share from the scripture. And uh, back in the day, and back in my country, uh, in the early 90s and late 80s, there was a misunderstanding about what it meant to be uh, a, a true Christian because the Christians back in the day were very radical, right? They were really, they were really born again, right? Uh, they were not joking and everything. So they used to feel like they belonged to a cult or a sect, or, you know, some kind of secret society or something, you know? And so my family was concerned about me, you know, because they believed that I just joined that secret society, that cult, you know, the people that are just crazy. All they do is talk about Jesus, so my family was really concerned. And in fact, believe it or not, my family actually at one point rejected me. You know, uh, you have to understand the African culture to be, to be able to understand what that means. See, in the African culture, your family is not your mom, and, you know, it's not your, the father, the, 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 the mother and the children. It's about your cousins. It's about your great-grandmother. It's about your mother. It's about your great-grandfather on your father's side and on your mother's side. And it's about your grand-cousin. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So that's what family is, where I come from. So family is very serious. So when a family says that you are no longer part of this family, in my culture, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. But I came to a part in my life that my family was uncomfortable with my Christianity because they didn't understand what it is. I mean, remember a few days ago, you saw my uh, uncle that came here? You know, I remember that the first and only last time he ever smacked me was when, was this thing about Christ. You know, he took care of me throughout my upbringing and all of that. Never, the first time he ever hit me with his hand was about this Jesus Christ thing. So when I believe, I really went through a lot of persecution. That's why I love Jesus the way I love. Because when you go through some of these things, it just changes your perspective about what God is. But now, that was about 1993. Fast forward 20 Five years down the road, you know, almost everyone in my family today is a believer. When I say family, again, I'm talking about cousins and granduncles and things like that, you know. So I'm not talking about getting a few siblings and all of that. I'm talking about tens and tens of people. So when I look back in my own family, I see God had a great plan of salvation for my family. See what he, he went there. So because of the plans he had in the future for the Gafisan family, what did he do? He backtracked, came, and looked for one tiny boy, village boy, and then decided to put his love into his heart and put grace into his heart and put, the, and put Jesus into his heart so that through that boy, the entire family would begin to see the effect of what it means to be a Christian. And today there are tens and hundreds of people in my family who are Christians. Some of them working full-time ministry, some of them missionaries, but all of that started with one seed. God's strategy is you and me. So we have to have that understanding. We have to grasp that understanding that we are his strategy. What is God's strategy for reaching Marquette? It's not about five simple steps to reach back. It's about you and you and you and me. We are the people that God is going to use to reach out to this community. We are his strategy. We are his hope. He doesn't have any other thing else. He doesn't have any plan B. You and me are his strategy. But not only we have to understand that we are his strategy, number two, we have to see ourselves as his strategy. You know, there's something that I read uh, St. Augustine once wrote. He said, without God, man cannot. And he says, and without man, God will not. You know, so without God, we can never do anything. We don't amount to anything else. But one other thing that we have to know, though, is that without man, God will not. It's not that God cannot do anything without us. It's just God has decided he will not do anything without man. Can you imagine that? God who can do everything has decided he will not accept that he cooperates with you and he cooperates with me. That he will work with us to do mighty and great things. I was reading this, uh, you know, Psalm 8 verse 4 and I was seeing how the psalmist was meditating about this concept where a God who can do without us decides that he will not without us. You know, and I read it from a couple of versions, and this is one you read it this morning so you can, you can listen to it. It says, what is a human being, Psalm 8 verse 4, what is a human being that you remember him 
a son of man, that you look after him. This is another translation. It says, what are human beings that you think about them? What are human beings that you pay attention to them? Another version said, then I ask, why do you care about us humans? Why are you so concerned for us weaklings? How many of you would identify with that? Even the grace of God, even as a Christian, if there are many times that I, I ask myself, why should God care for me? Because I am so familiar with my flaws. I'm so connected to my own weaknesses. And I ask myself, why should God care about me? Why should God use me? Have you ever wondered like that? But that's just God. He has decided he will not bypass you. He will not bypass me to do the great things that he wants to do on earth. It's not because he cannot. It's just because he has decided he will not. He could do it without us, but he has decided he will not. And so God is a God who cares about us. We are his strategy. We must begin to see ourselves in the same light that he sees us. Now, I want us to read the full, that full passage in, uh, in Psalm 8, from 4 to 8. Now, I want you to listen to what the psalmist himself was saying here. It says, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. So in other words, God visits us. It says, for you have made him a little lower than the angels. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. So look at what God has done to us. He has crowned us with glory and with honor. Verse 6, it says, you have made, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. And you have put all things under his feet. Do you, do you, do you, this is about you. This is not just about the psalmist. This is about what God has done to you and me as human beings. It says he has put all things under our feet. Verse 7 says, All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. The psalmist said, who is man that you are mindful of him? This is God. He says he's made us just a little lower than the angels. He has crowned us with glory and with honor. We have to begin to see ourselves the way God sees us. In the New Testament, the Bible says we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Begin to see your position in God. Begin to see that not only you are God's strategy, but begin to uh, 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 see, yourself, you see you being used of God to do great and mighty things on the surface of the earth. I remember um, in my last African trip, which I'm going to share some pictures with you in just a little while, I, I was, I was uh, in Burundi, in the nation of Burundi. And before I could go there, uh, my contact in Burundi called for me and he said to me, Madison, uh, in two years, in 2020 to be more exact, our country will be going through a presidential election. And he said, there is division in our country because uh, the country has been suffering from, uh, um, you, know, uh, you know, some kind of a genocide thing where, you know, tri one tribe is against the other, uh, uh, you know, they're fighting and all of that. And he was saying, 
So, and you are coming to our country, and you are going to be speaking to leaders, and you are going to be addressing leadership. And he said to me, he said, we are expecting you to talk to these leaders because we don't want to have a war in 2020. We want to have a peaceful country in 2020. And so whatever you are going to come here and to do, Madison, make sure that nothing, that our nation, that, our, that will happen to our nation. I was like, oh my God, am I, the, am I responsible now for that? And as I was thinking about it, then I remembered in the light of God's scripture. Without God, man cannot. But without man, God will not. God has decided that he was going to use human beings to do the things that he wants to do. And so here am I, and I listened to this, and I said to myself, Lord God, now hear what they are expecting me to come and do. They're expecting me to come and save an entire nation and stop that nation from going into war. And I said to the Lord, Lord God, I believe that with you and me, we can cause that to happen. How many of you know that with, you know, one with God is already in the majority? I mean, you know, you win the election just like that. With you, if you are standing on the side of God, you are the majority. So I said to the Lord, so you and me, are the majority. So we are going to believe you that you would give us the right words for this country and that the country will not go into a worse situation and that you would come and that you would give me the right words to speak to the leadership of this country so that they will not go down that road and have to believe God. Why? Because I discovered that I have to begin to see myself as God's strategy. Because no, none of us will doubt the fact that if God stepped into any situation, it would change it, right? But the doubt always is, can he use you? See, that's where you start to say, oh, no, 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 well, well, not because, because of that, because of that, right? Because you begin to look at yourself according to your flaws and because, according to your weaknesses. But there is a God who wants us to look at ourselves the way he looks at us. He has made us a little lower than the angels. He has crowned us with glory, the Bible says, and honor. And he wants to use us for the transformation of the world. The third thing and the last thing I want us to know today is not only we have to understand that we are God's strategy, not only we have to see ourselves as God's strategy, we have to act like we are God's strategy. You know, so when this guy told me, you know, you know there's some things that you are shocked. Um, and then, but you know, I learned a long time ago that when it comes to the things of God, you can be shocked and all of that, but you never show it. You know, you go out and you're looking like really confident, right? Uh, and you are just saying, God, if you don't do it now, that it, this going to, the thing is going to be messed up. Lord, help me. But in your heart, you, you know, you are trembling. And I noticed that that's, that's just how it's got to be. Uh, Paul was talking to the, the, the Christians in one of his epistles. He says, when I came to you, I came with trembling. He said, but my words... And my expression were not with enticing words of human wisdom, but they were in the, you know, the revelation of the spirit and power. So it's, it's okay to be, sh to be shivering on the outside and to be trembling on the outside, but to believe God in your heart that God is going to use you and me to change the world. So act like you are God's strategy. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, 6 and 7, it says this. This was when Saul was made, being made the king of, of a nation. 
This is what the Bible says. It says, then the Spirit of the Lord will rush on you. You know, he was talking to the man Saul. He says, then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be transformed into a different person. When these signs have come, do as occasion demands, for God is with you. So how does a man become, a man or a woman becomes God's strategy? How does he get rid of his weaknesses? How does he deal with all of the things that we deal with and to become God's man or God's woman? The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord does this. And so we have got to start trusting the Lord. Lord, Spirit of God, you can use me. Spirit of God, you can touch me. I can be used of you. I know I am weak at this. I know I am that. But many times we are so, we are always closer to our human nature than we are closer to what God says about us. But we have to start learning how to take God literally. When he says that his spirit will come upon us, his spirit will rush upon us, we have got to believe him. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. God wants us to be his witnesses. His power is available to transform us from the inside out so we can be his witnesses, so we can be his mouthpieces, so we can represent him, we can bear testimony of who he is and what he can do. In the nations, in our homes, in our families, in our communities, in our school system, God has got to use somebody. You are God's strategy. I am God's strategy. And when God calls you to do something, don't, don't look back and don't say, well, you know, where is the pastor? Or, oh, my God, is there any deacon around here? Or is there any other believer around here? You've got to say, present, sir. You've got to say, present, sir. I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Send me. It's amazing. I read, I read this story uh, about Moses, and it was amazing. Uh, uh, if you can read it in the book of Exodus, I think it's Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4. You know, God says to Moses, he says, I have heard the cry of my people. Have you remember that passage? He said, I have, he said, no, the first of all, he said, I have seen the suffering of my people. He said, I have heard their cry. He says, and I have come down to deliver them. And then he says to Moses, he says, now I am sending you. Oh, oh, you said you have, you know, heard the cry of the people. Yes, sir. You said you have seen their suffering. Yes, sir. You have come down to help. Yes, sir. And then he goes, now I am sending you. That has always been God's strategy. He sees the suffering of the people. He understands what is going on in our country. He understands what is going on in our community. He understands what is going on in the families. But, and he has come down to help. But he is sending you. Why? You are his strategy. You are his method for the salvation of Marquette. You are his method for the deliverance of Michigan. You are his method for the transformation of America. You are God's strategy. Without God, man cannot. But without man, God will not. Because he has decided you are going to be his method. You are going to be the one that he uses to transform the world. So look at me, little African boy born in a little village, and God sends me and says to me, I will send you to the leaders of this world. Now, you, 
you know, where I am born, there is no, not, 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 they don't, we don't even have a zip code. You know, you know, the zip code in this country is very important, right? Because from the, someone's zip code, you can know where they are, you can know their status and all of that. You know, but I come from a place where there is not, not even a zip code. But God lays in my heart and says that you are going to be able to touch nations and leaders. And I have seen that in my, you know, my few years of just walking with God. And I've seen that God truly is serious about what he says. If he says that he's going to do something, he will actually do it. So, um, and I want to thank uh, us as a church for standing behind Lead Missions International and supporting the work that we do around the world. But in this last trip, I just wanted to give you a brief uh, something that happened in the last trip. We had eight events in two countries. We had about over 30 volunteers in those countries. We reached out to over 3,000 uh, in, those, in those countries and for the 21 days that we were there. Um, and I want you to know, like, for instance, one of the things that we did was we had a leadership breakfast in the country of Burundi. Um, you see that coming up there. Now, this is the vice president of that country. And so uh, he attended that meeting. And uh, we are working together right now and talking uh, with his advisors and the advisory team of the president to see how we can come and do a bigger leadership training for the country of Burundi. Uh, this, on the left side, I was uh, tr trying to uh, pr present to him uh, one of my best books in the world, uh, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of, of, of Leadership. But that's what we did in the country of Burundi. Uh, a little bit in, a, in my co own country in Cameroon, the next slide, um, we, were, we held what we call a leadership. Okay, okay, this, no, this is still Burundi right here. This is still me and the vice president. Uh, this was the media corps that was uh, there to uh, cover the occasion. Uh, go to the next slide. Okay, so here was in Cameroon right now. This is back in my own country. This is the prime minister of my country, seated at the, the, the extreme of the table. And uh, th these were um, the, the government ministers and senators that we were speaking with um, during this time. And uh, next slide. Okay, th that was me again. I was giving him one of my best books that I do, you know, The Five Levels of Leadership. And, uh, and this is my team, my U.S. team, uh, except for one person. This is... The, the lady standing the closest to me is, uh, was my program director for all of the programs that we held in, in Cameroon. But this is what we did. Then we had the leading ladies conference that I, oh my God, if you're a woman, uh, you would want to be part of this conference. Now, now this is what you know, uh, we, we had back in Cameroon. It was we had hundreds of women come together to receive encouragement, strengthening, to take leadership in in, in whatever God has called them to do. So this is part of the leading lady conference that we held there. Next slide. Um, still, okay, this is my, my team for the leading lady conference. Um, so I was surrounded by a lot of ostriches right there. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, these are, you know, great, you know, they, they, they did a great job to put together this conference right here. And we had what we call the take the lead conferences. For the take the lead conferences, we actually hold them within you know, our churches, and we strengthen leadership and build leadership capacity. This is one of them. So we are talking about thousands and thousands of people that God has put at our disposal. This is just kind of a summary of what happened in 21 days. There were huge, you know, different things that we cannot all mention here. And at our leading lady conference, believe it or not, we have about five Muslim women attend. And I was curious about that because I wanted them to know because we were singing Christian songs and singing worship and we came to them and was like, how did you feel like, you know, being at a, a, 
and, 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 and they loved it. And then I came to realize that what God wants us to do is just to believe him and to do the things that he has placed in our heart. If we are always caref- careful about what will they think about us, what will they say about us, well, you will never know what they say until you do it. So just go ahead and do it, all right? Uh, be like Nike. Nike says, you know, just do it, right? Just do it. Go ahead and just do it. Uh, don't care about what people think. Don't care about what people say. By the way, they don't even care about what, when they do what they do. They don't care about us. They just go ahead and do their thing. Do you notice that the world doesn't care about what we think? But we care so much about what they think, even when God says for us to do something. But I pray that the Lord will cause us to begin to do something. So God might not have called you to to go to Africa like myself and to all the other places, but God has called you for something. My question is, what has God called you for? What, what What is he, how is he dealing with your heart? What is that? Maybe it's just your family. Maybe it's just uh, at your job site or where you work or where you live. Maybe just to your neighbors. But what are you doing about it? Understand that you are God's strategy. Begin to see yourself as God's strategy and begin to act like you are God's strategy. I pray that the Lord will help us as a church. Even as we begin to look at the, the big things that we are looking at in the church, you know, uh, the vision that the pastor is casting and, uh, and, and all of the things that we want to be engaged at, the bringing the church to the community and the serve week and all of that. Begin to ask the Lord, what, where is my part? Where, what, where am I supposed to be? What is the thing that I can do so that I can bring about a transformation in our community? Can you rise to our feet and we pray this morning? Father, we just pray this morning that you will just speak to our hearts, Lord. You know the plans that you have for each one of us. You know why you called us. You know why we are a part of this body of believers. Our prayer this morning is that you would use us, Lord. Use us in spite of us. Use us even when we don't believe it is possible for you to use us. Father, strengthen us. Empower us by the power of your Holy Spirit to believe that we can do the things that you have called us to do. So if you're here this morning and you have always felt like God has something special for you, you you really know that God wants you to start to do something and, and for some reason, you have not started doing it. For some reason, you are timid. For some reason, you you are not quite sure. For some reason, you feel like you are incapable. I believe that this morning there is faith in the house. And I would love to pray with you this morning. Maybe God has just been speaking to you about your family. Maybe about your neighborhood. Maybe a vision that is on your heart. Maybe to write a book. Uh, Maybe to do a story. or I don't know what kind of thing God might have deposited in your heart. But I want you to know that you are his strategy. And if you have been feeling like there's something that you need to be doing, there's something that God has called you to do, and you know that you're not quite there, I would like to pray with you this morning. So as the choir begins to sing to us, I just want you to 
wherever you are, just walk out of your seat. I just want to stand with you and believe God with you and trust God with you that the vision that he has given to you as a person, that what he has called you to do as an individual, that he fulfills it in your life. So as the choir sings to us and as they lead us in this time, can you just walk ahead? I just want to be able to pray with you. Whether you are in the hub or you are in the main sanctuary, you just feel like you want us to pray together and say God will unleash the things that he wants to do in and through you. Come on, feel, feel free to come ahead and we just want to pray. Thank you.